Hi, this is Paul Spellman. You're listening to my podcast. I have a story about that. Welcome back. This is uh, episode number three. Today we're going to be talking about uh, World War I soldier and a plague that killed off nearly an entire generation. In 1917, the United States entered what later became known as World War I. About uh, over the next year or so, there were over a million um, GIs, as they called them, government-issue soldiers, who were either um, enlisted or were drafted and uh, brought into the war, and many of them, most of them, uh, sent off to France beginning in the summer of 1917 and for the next 15 or 16 months. In one of the worst wars ever in the history of humankind, in which 20 million uh, soldiers and civilians will die and millions more uh, injured and wounded and missing whole nations obliterated across Western and Central Europe. Um, World War I still stands today as one of the great catastrophes of uh, human history and certainly of the 20th century. But right in the midst of the last months of uh, World War I in the summer and fall of 1918 and then continuing on through the next year of 1919, a terrible plague, the influenza pandemic, uh, spread across four different continents during and following the war. Uh, I wrote a book uh, some years ago. It was called Until I Come Home, Love Letters from the War, 1918 and 1919. It's a story of a uh, Texas boy named Roscoe Chittam, half Cherokee, half Anglo, and um, at the not-so-tender age of his late 20s, he was drafted uh, into the war in June of 1918. As I was working on this book, and in the next uh, episode when we get together again, we're going to talk a little bit more about Roscoe Chittam and his uh, wife Vera Diamond, uh, their life together uh, in Texas before and during and after the First World War. Talk a little bit about the background of both of them and their families. I think a really interesting story, uh, culminating with uh, their um, working and living together uh, in the Katy and Houston area in the early 1920s. But before we get to that, I, I wanted to read some excerpts from uh, the book I wrote about Roscoe and Vera, because uh, in this uh, particular chapter, it talks about the coming of the great influenza pandemic and how it directly and personally touches uh, Roscoe and Vera Chittam. So let me read a little background here uh, that I wrote in, uh, in my book, Until I Come Home. On the morning of March 11, 1918, Private Albert Martin Gitchell, a company cook from South Dakota, reported to the Fort Riley, Kansas Infirmary, complaining of high fever. Gitchell, a draftee serving the 164th Depot Brigade, 89th Infantry Division, was quickly joined by four more soldiers with similar complaints. All had temperatures over 103 degrees. By the end of the next day, a hundred soldiers at Camp Funston in Fort Riley were suffering from flu-like symptoms. Most of these survived, including Private Gitchell, and then were sent on to the war front in France with the rest of the division in the hurry-up mobilization 
that month. So sometime uh, in March of 1918, out in Fort Riley, Kansas, many people believe this may have been the origins of what later became known, among other things, as the Spanish flu, although it didn't have much to do with Spain, and would spread itself across the United States, into South America, across to Europe, and even down into the northern African nations. Fort Riley uh, sits pretty much in the center of the state of Kansas. It's off of High uh, Interstate 70. It's about uh, 75 miles west of Topeka, Kansas, about 140 miles west of Kansas City, Missouri, and about 125 miles north of Wichita, Kansas. Uh, just to the north of the interstate is the Kansas River, meandering alongside Highway 70. And then just to the west of the camp is Milford Lake. Uh, we were driving along Highway 70 a couple of summers ago, uh, having left Kansas City and making our way to Topeka and then on down to Wichita. So we drove past uh, Fort Riley and looked off to our right as we did so. Uh, there were hundreds, literally, of... Um, uh, military helicopters uh, that were sitting along the runways in the tarmac all along Fort Riley and a number of others uh, up in the air around there. Uh, it's a beautiful area, central Kansas, uh, flattening out into the, uh, the Great Plains in the Midwest of the United States. And a beautiful trip to go through that area. It was part of a trip, I'll talk about it in a later story sometime, that my sisters and I took from Texas, making our way up uh, to the Dakotas and then back around uh, down to Texas about an eight-day uh, road trip that was a whole lot of fun. Saw a lot of things that we'll talk about along the way. So let me pick up where I left off reading from, uh, from, the, uh, from the book. The increasingly virulent disease began to spread as each soldier and civilian came in any contact with another. The H1N1 strain of influenza A made its way quickly, quickly across the Midwest and then to the eastern seaboard. There were 17,000 cases in Chicago, tens of thousands more in Boston by the summer of 1918, and 851 died in New York City on a single day in October. Although the influenza barely brushed Camp Travis in Texas, where Roscoe had done his basic training, most of the other cantonment sites were not as lucky. The deaths were so numerous at Camp Sherman and in nearby Chillicote, Ohio, that that town's majestic theater was soon converted to a morgue. The yard behind that theater in Chillicote became known as Blood Alley. The epidemic quickly spread overseas. A troop ship making its way across the Atlantic buried over 400 soldiers at sea. In France, as six soldiers arrived by the thousands, the disease spread rapidly through the trenches along both war fronts and both sides. The Germans called it Flanders fever. The American doughboys called it the Purple Death. It spread across Europe and then around the globe, striking Italy, Sierra Leone, India and China, Hawaii and Alaska. No continent was spared the tragedy. Seven million died in Spain, where many erroneously believed the so-called Spanish flu originated. 
By the end of 1918, a staggering 20 million people around the world were dead from the pandemic, with perhaps as many as twice that number still to suffer by the end of 1919. Before it was over, 675,000 Americans were dead, 200,000 alone in the single month of October 1918, including 43,000 soldiers, the plague spreading much more rapidly with the soldiers being moved from camp to camp. The American Medical Association noted in its final journal issue of 1918 that it had been, quote, a year momentous as the termination of the most cruel war in the annals of the human race, a year which marked the end for at least a time of man's destruction of man, and, unfortunately, a year in which developed a most fatal infectious disease causing the deaths of hundreds of thousands of human beings." End quote. The influenza epidemic arrived at Camp Dix in New Jersey late in the summer of 1918, probably with draftees carrying it from New York or Nebraska. Camp Dix is in New Jersey. We're going there because when Roscoe um, made his way from uh, Camp Travis down in Texas, he was sent up to Camp Dix, where he would then be headed to the war front in France. And so as Roscoe makes his way with his uh, bride, Vera, by train from San Antonio up to New Jersey, arriving there at Camp Dix uh, in September of uh, 1918, about the same time, by tragic coincidence, that the influenza epidemic had also reached the eastern seaboard. So let me continue with uh, what, what I wrote. Soldiers by the hundreds lay debilitated in their hospital beds, their lungs filling with blood, struggling to breathe, many gasping their last breath, only hours after contracting the disease. By this time in mid-September, Vera had already said her goodbyes to Roscoe, boarded a train, and headed back uh, to uh, Texas. On the September the 20th, a Friday night, Roscoe wrote to his bride. Dearest baby, he writes, well, we've all been in since Wednesday and are slowly recovering from this awful disease. We had 83 men in bed at the same time, and I was one of them here in the Camp Dix Hospital. But some way it didn't get me as bad as it did some, or I didn't give up. I don't know which it was. We haven't done a thing in the way of work, just sticking in our barracks under guard and quarantine. The captain, A.J. Port, is quite sick. There's been a large death list through the eastern camps and many hundreds if not thousands of cases of this influenza. They say the German submarines are bringing it over and spreading it. <laughs> that was a popular rumor along the coast back then that the Germans were engaging in some type of germ warfare by letting the disease loose in the American harbors. Since no one had any other better idea, this was a, a rumor that quickly spread up and down the eastern seaboard. Roscoe finishes this part of his letter. Our bunch is tied up here for some time anyway. We don't know a thing. One of our officers is not expected to live. 
A couple of days later, Roscoe writes again, this time as the situation continues to worsen uh, there at the camp in New Jersey. And so he writes to Vera, well, the death toll has finally reached into our own company now. We had four die today, and there will be more tomorrow, they say. My friend Oates is very bad off, and you remember the sergeant that you met, Sergeant Butterfield? Uh, he died today. And you also met uh, Corporal Olson. Uh, he also died. The total deaths today was 83, with 1,000 new cases to the hospital. They thought I'd have to go yesterday, but I've pulled through again. I had one of the boys to wire you that you should not go to San Antonio yet for the reason that uh, I might want you to come here again if I do get bad and need you. But I didn't, so you can go as soon as this letter reaches you, for I'll either let you know one way or the other by the time that you get this. And another reason is that if any of the boys from Texas dies, I'll be detailed to bring them back, I think. That is, if I'm so that I can leave here. We're still under strong guard. No one's allowed to leave the barracks. It's like a prison here. The nurses are all getting sick over at the hospital. And the camp officers are calling for help from New York and other nearby cities. The total deaths in the camp up to date is nearly 300. And they say it'll reach over 1,000. Roscoe continues to write, I don't think that you need have any more fear of me getting down now as I'm taking all the medicine that they're giving us and being very careful at all times and wearing all the clothing that I can get on. It seems as though this influenza settles into a serious state of pneumonia and then into something else they can't even fathom yet. They have several of the noted specialists here that are making some tests now and they say that they'll be able to handle it soon. Well, that was wishful thinking on Roscoe's part, but certainly hopeful at that moment um, as he lay in the uh, cotton in the barracks. Roscoe continues with his letter to Vera. The captain is still taking his personal interest in me and watching to see if I get all the medical treatments that they have. There's so many of our boys now in the hospital and also from other companies in the camp that they're getting the whole thing all balled up. And if one tries to find one certain person, you have the time of your life, and in some cases, there are men lost and they've not been found yet. One of the officers was moved and they cannot get him located after two days search. Captain Port came in today, spent an hour more with me, and told me again, as he told you, that he would recommend me for a commission if I wanted it, but they did not advise me doing that, but to stay where I was, and then I would be better taken care of here with him. Just now the top sergeant came in, said we had another death just now. Corporal Cloud, I don't think that you met him as he was stationed in the office. That's five just from our company, and they're all the nicest boys we had. And the other boys are all heartbroken so far as man can be in a time such as this. For Roscoe, his words were more prophetic than he thought. Soon he would be granted a commission as Company B's corporal shortly after the death of Cloud. Because of the overwhelming death toll at the camp, the three divisions there would mix and match companies and battalions for the trip overseas. Roscoe's Company B 
remained assigned to the 127th Machine Gun Battalion, formerly of the 34th Division, now joined temporarily with the 78th. Roscoe continues his letter to Vera. I some way am not so tired tonight, and I should be, for I have enough clothing on to weight me down. But I'll not try and stay up long today. I'll let you know of the slightest change, if I have any. So do not worry, my sweet, till the time comes, and then do it. Write to me, and tell me all that is going on there, and everything. I know this is not a very cheerful letter, sweet, but do not feel very good now, and there could be no war so bad as this. So give my love to all the folks and tell them I'll write them all as soon as I can. Until that time, they get all the news from you. We'll be here for some time, that's a cinch. And that may be all winter, we, we don't know. All the camps in the east are in the same fix. But this being the largest, it of course is hit the hardest. Then they may take all the well ones and send them at once to get them out of trouble. But we don't know anything yet. So as Roscoe closes that letter, again, it reminds us that one of the things that was happening was that if you were well enough at these camps, rather than leave you in the camp and be susceptible to the influenza that was spreading across the camp, they would ship you off to France. Yeah, but how many of these soldiers were, were carrying the influenza bug at that point? And so they would take them off these camps, put them on these crowded troop ships, where for days they would cross the Atlantic, practically shoulder to shoulder, no way off the ship, very little medicine available, hardly any doctors on these troop ships. And so dozens, if not more, of these boys would, would die literally uh, as they crossed the Atlantic and be buried at sea. And then again, the ones who survived even that um, uh, shipping across the Atlantic would then embark across France with, again, carrying the disease to the front lines. And so as these American soldiers arrived by the hundreds of thousands in September and October and November of 1918, moving into the trenches alongside the British and the French and the Canadians and the other Americans who had already been there, uh, they, they brought the influenza with them. <coughs> and, and it spread through the camps along with the dysentery and the measles and the other infectious diseases uh, that the uh, Allies and the Germans were suffering along the Western Front was a terrible uh, coincidence of tragedies piling on one another. A couple of days later, uh, Roscoe, uh, still at Camp Disc, writes another letter uh, to Vera. Dearest baby and family, this is getting to be simply awful. Our men are getting worse again, and deaths all around us, and the awful nights. Men coughing like they would burst. And last night, one of the companies had mumps and scarlet fever break out. So the camp is under quarantine now so that no one can come in or go out. And they say if it is not over soon, we'll be here for a long time. Captain Port is up again and 
Poor fellow is doing all he can for the men, but that isn't much. We have about 15 right now, very low, and about 100 sick. I'm still about the same. I'm sick, but not bad. I keep plenty of clothing on all the time and stay in bed as much as I can. There's nothing going on in camp, no drill or anything, just tending to the men. Then he mentions a guy there in the barracks trying to lighten the situation up a little bit. That darn Victrola in here just started playing the Missouri Waltz. Can't say it's pleasing to hear it just now. I went over Saturday and got the socks and a few letters that were there from you. I had your coat fixed for sending back to you. Gee, how I wish that you were here now and you could do so much for us now. And that Ford car would be a blessing, but of course that's just one of those sudden changes that came and we have to make the best of it. Then he has a little P.S. in the letter to his uh, mother-in-law. Mother, he says, I, I thank you many, many times for the socks, and I certainly can use them. It's begun to get cold already, and it'll only be a short time till they'll come in very handy. I'm going to write you and Father soon, and thank you for the Ford, but baby, can you tell them now how I thank you anyway? Oh, now, he writes, some sucker started playing the piano. Pieces I just can't enjoy, honey, without you with me. He concludes his letter by saying, writing, eh, just now this is a blue bunch anyway. We all hate to die in a hospital sick. It just doesn't seem so bad over there. But here, I can't see much fun in that. Of course, myself, I'm not thinking of that, but some do. Because I'm not going to die either place. I have more than most have to come back to. And I'll be back. The Eastern papers are all very encouraging. It really looks like we stand a poor chance of ever getting to see very much war. Personally, I wouldn't care if I didn't, but I'm here, and the sooner we get it over, the better, so I'm ready to go. Loads of love, he writes, and kisses to you, sweetheart. Love to all. A million times, a million kisses. Yours lovingly, Ross. Well, Roscoe uh, continued uh, to remain there in the barracks at uh, Camp Dix for another uh, almost three weeks. Finally, um, it was time to ship out. Sick or well, everybody was being sent uh, to France. Here's an excerpt from, uh, from the book I wrote. With final preparations underway for the short trek across New Jersey to Hoboken, and then my troop ship across the Atlantic, Corporal Chetham sat on his cot on a Friday evening, October 11th, poured his heart out to his dearest baby wife, as he called her. The letter exudes the passion and the finality of his situation. He was now truly off to war. Having survived the deadly epidemic, while hundreds around him had died, the resilient Cherokee boy missed his bride terribly, and each poignant sentence reinforced the emotional outpouring of his love. Here's in part what he wrote. I'm sorry for the letter I wrote yesterday. I sure was feeling bummed. Your letters all came together. I tell you this, sweet, but this is the last letter you'll ever get from me in the USA till I come back to you. 
We leave at midnight tonight, and I feel safe, and I'm not worried about going or getting back. My only regret is leaving the one little woman in the world, because you are everything to me, my wife, sweetheart, lover, baby. And so he made his way across. We'll talk about his uh, crossing the Atlantic in the next episode. But here's one final bit to our story of uh, carrying the disease across to the front lines. The troop ship carrying Corporal Chittam and the rest of the 127th Machine Gun Battalion crossed the English Channel of the French Harbor of Brest on October 30th. Corporal Chittam disembarked along with thousands of other doughboys who had made the grueling trip from the United States. There he encountered with the others a logistical nightmare and traffic jam similar to what he had left at Hoboken 18 days earlier, men and materials scattered in all directions and a disorganized system of transportation to the war front on the other side of France. Roscoe's company had little time to fret about the mess there, for it was only hours before they were headed east. The route, log jammed with tens of thousands of soldiers and all the paraphernalia associated with war, took the machine gun units by rail from Brest to Rennes and then to Le Mans. In Le Mans, one of Roscoe's worst fears was realized when the already mixed-up division with which he had traveled from Wrightstown, New Jersey, was once more cannibalized to fill in the myriad gaps left by war and disease. In a later, he would write days later, he told Vera, quote, I wrote a letter telling you all what it was expected to happen to us at Le Mans. Well, believe me, it did happen. We lost Captain Port and all our officers and even some men, end quote. Not from the flu this time, Captain Port would survive the war, but from a hasty reorganization of regiments, which now left Roscoe's machine gun company assigned to the 83rd Thunderbolt Division, or what was left of it. And so we leave uh, Roscoe there, having survived the flu, uh, on his way to the front lines in France. Um, next time, uh, if you'll join me, we'll uh, pick it up right there. We'll talk a little bit about Roscoe and Vera in uh, episode number four. So I uh, hope you enjoyed this, and uh, tell your friends. Uh, let people know on Facebook uh, that this is going on. And uh, until we're together again, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode of I Have a Story About That. My name is Paul Spellman. You take good care until we uh, talk again.